Hello and welcome back to Leader Up, a podcast of Army Management Staff College. Leader Up is a professional conversation where we discuss a broad range of leadership and leader development topics with an emphasis on the Army profession. I'm your host, David Howie. The Army Civilian Corps is changing. It has changed and it will change more in the future. In the past 15, 20, 25 years, the role of Army civilians has deepened, broadened, and expanded. Because of that, the way the Army sees its roughly 330,000 Army civilians has also needed to change. In the spring of 2021, an article was published in Military Review Magazine called One Profession, Two Communities, and the Third Rail We Cannot Ignore. And we're going to hear more about that title in just a few moments. But today on Leader Up, we have the authors of that article, and I'm going to bring them in right now and introduce them. And uh, first is Mr. David Cavallari who is the program manager for the Army University Civilian Development Integration Office at Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. Uh, David Cavallari, thank you so much for being with us today on Leader Up. Well, thanks very much for having me. And our second guest is Dr. Van Knowlton, who is the director of the Army Aviation Civilian Personnel Proponent at Fort Rucker, Alabama. Uh, Dr. Knowlton, Van Knowlton, thank you also for being with us today on Leader Up. Well, thanks. Appreciate you having me. Uh, thank you, uh, both of you gentlemen. And uh, I'm I'm happy to see these two gentlemen today. We, all three of us, used to work together on the staff uh, here at Fort Leavenworth. That was uh, many years ago. And uh, I just want to start off today with uh, a little bit about both of you. Um, kind of about your your current position and a little bit about your background uh, as an Army civilian. And let me start with you, David Cavallari, where you work now and what, what your job entails and a little bit about your background as an Army civilian. Sure. I'm uh, happy to, Dave. So uh, by background, uh, I'm a retired soldier and then I'm now 15 years uh, into my second career as an Army civilian all of them thus far as a supervisory GS-14. I began as a staff manager here for a three-star headquarters, moved into a couple of different settings with the Army Management Staff College, and now as the program manager for the CDIO, I I manage uh, Army people strategy, civilian implementation plan actions that uh, are support or directly associated with the develop talent line of effort. That's just a little bit of background for how I got to where I am now. Okay. Thank you. And that's, that's kind of what we're going to talk about today is this idea of developing army civilians. Uh, and thanks for being with us. And let me uh, go to you now, uh, Van Knowlton, just a little bit about what you do now and, and your background as an army civilian. All right. Hey, thanks, Dave. Uh, as you said, uh, I'm the career field manager for the uh, Army Civilian Corps, uh, Army Aviation. 
formerly, I was the Career Program 64 manager. We've, uh, with the implementation of the Army People Strategy, we've changed our names a little bit. So we're not career program managers anymore, but we're all wrapped into one career field. Um, 11 separate career fields, but all of us are there. Uh, I supervise aviation workforce analysis, uh, skill gap uh, identification, recruiting, marketing, uh, apprentice program. Uh, and primarily, I'm concerned with the systematic development of Army Civilian Corps, Army Aviation uh, members. Uh, I'm retired from active duty, uh, did about 22 years uh, active duty. Um, and in a couple of months, I'll have 15 years uh, as an Army Civilian Corps member. Okay, thank you. And uh, as I said earlier, I, I certainly do appreciate you being with us today. And I, w- I want to get into uh, this this article that you wrote that was published um, in in the spring of 2021. And the title I want to start with the title, and let let me just go over this again for our leader up audience out there. The title is one profession, two communities, and the third way the third rail we cannot ignore. So, what are the two communities? What's the third rail? Uh, why did you choose that title uh, and uh, that phrase? And uh, David Cavallari, I'd like to start with you on on the answer for that one. Yeah, and Dave, you you probably should because depending on how you look at that, I'm either to credit or to blame for convincing Van to agree to that title. So it, it's partly uh, it's partly a tip of the hat to our doctrine, our Army doctrine that describes the army profession as consisting of my word is community, but it's two, two cohorts, two components on the one hand of the profession of arms, think uniformed soldiers. And on the other hand, the army civilian corps, and we call those the two communities of the one profession. So that's how we get the first part of the title. Now, with respect to the second part of the title, uh, this mysterious third rail, that's um, that's an homage, if you like, to my earlier younger days riding the subway system in Boston. And I think uh, the, the metaphor applies equally well to subway system in Washington, uh, uh, New York City or Chicago, um, where you see as you're standing on a platform waiting for the train to come by, warnings are prominently displayed all over the place uh, against coming into contact with the third rail that you can see running along the ground. And if you listen when it's quiet, when you're standing on a platform waiting for the train to come by, you can hear that rail hum as the electricity reminds you that the rail is both critical to the system's effective operation but it also warrants and deserves your respect because if you don't treat it properly, it can cause a lot of damage. So as uh, we thought our way through the kind of messages that we wanted to share with the readership, we wanted to reinforce ideas about profession and community and also the importance of what we consider to be a third rail uh, that we get into later on in in the article uh, that really warrants attention and more discussion. Okay, and uh, Dr. Knowlton, did you have uh, have a, a response to that that title? 
Yeah, Dave, thanks. That that is uh, that is definitely one of the ones that uh, Dave Cavalier came up with, and he said, "Hey, I got this really catchy phrase, uh, and and here's kind of what it is." But we but we talk about uh, you know, dear, as we talk about in the article, we talk about uh, in a political environment those those things that you you don't want to touch because, like Dave said, you know that third rail is is dangerous. So you got to really pay attention to it. So that's one of the things that we that we kind of wanted to pull the thread through the article and say, look, these are things that are sometimes not comfortable talking about, but it's things that we need to talk about. It's things that we need to kind of unpack and 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 see it from different lenses and get different people to 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 add their voice to this so that we can see all those different things about how we view that rail. Because you know, uh, you know, where you sit is where you stand. So when you bring your voices together, um, you, you got to kind of look at how that thing uh, is going to impact the, the, the communities. And that, that point that you uh, made kind of leads me right into my next question, which is a quote that, uh, that y'all pulled out from a book. And I, I'll read the quote to the audience, and then we'll talk about why you used it. And here's the quote, the ability to manage difficult conversations effectively is foundational to achieving almost any significant change. And that's from a book that's called difficult conversations, how to discuss what matters most. And uh, Dr. Van Nolten, I'll, I'll start with you that, that quote, how is that relevant to this topic that you wrote about? Yeah. Thanks Dave. <clears throat> yeah. So that's, that's a really good, uh, Actually, that's a really good book that uh, both Dave and I uh, attended the, the Harvard Senior Executive Fellow. So we actually got a chance to see um, the authors uh, come in and talk a little bit. But at, that's, there's actually a community of, um, of things that are surrounded uh, or that surround uh, difficult conversations, critical conversations, crucial conversations. Uh, so it's a, it's a whole community in itself. And George Bernard Shaw said at one time, you know, the single biggest problem in communication is the illusion that it has taken place, referring to uh, conversations. And Doug Stone and his colleagues, good communication is important, uh, both in formal negotiations and daily life. We figure that uh, difficult conversations, uh, as outlined in the book and as outlined in the community, are conversations that anything somebody doesn't really want to talk about. Uh, and, and put another way, in the Crucial Conversations book, they involve, involve opposing opinions, strong emotions, and high stakes. So when we think about it, I mean, those are those are conversations that we have to manage on a daily basis, whether you're sitting around uh, talking about football or, 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 or baseball or sports, uh, you know, if you're arguing against the Steelers or the Chiefs, um, there's always opposing opinions that are out there. But again, uh, how we talk to our employees, um, how we how we look at those things, uh, how we manage those conversations on a daily basis are ways that we need to take uh, and, and apply it to critical conversations when when there's emotions at stake, when there are biases that are going to come forward. Um, so, so what, he, oh, sorry, Dave, go ahead. What, what I think I'm hearing you say, and David Cavallari, you can respond to this, is that um, this idea of talking about uh, these two communities uh, within one profession and talking about how we develop 
uh, army civilians is can be a difficult conversation within the army. Is that is that something that you've seen since perhaps the uh, you've been in the position that you're in right now? A hundred percent spot on, Dave. Hundred um, percent. And if you think about it, since we all uh, are part of a hierarchical organization, you know the army. This idea of having difficult conversations where you would have to surface potentially defend uh, oppositional views. It's the exact opposite of the way we were successful when we were in uniform, where we were, uh, you know, where we uh, executed uh, instructions or orders, uh, perhaps even over our own objections or personal objections. Uh, but if, if we as an Army Civilian Corps want to truly contribute to the Army's mission and Army readiness, uh, we have to be willing to uh, defend positions, uh, admit that perhaps our positions on a certain subject might be, you know, uh, out of touch, and then um, uh, negotiate, compromise our way to success moving forward. Uh, I don't think either Ben or I wanted to be perceived through this article as being just a couple of other guys who were complaining. We wanted to contribute to conversations that would help improve the situation and improve Army readiness. And and that's why this notion about difficult conversations is really uh, critical, to not only to the article, but I think to the success of the Army Civilian Corps. And, and you did uh, lay out... Uh, towards the end of your article, and we're going to talk about this in a few minutes about some of the things that you recommend that you would like to see done, uh, as a way to, to take care of some of these, these challenges that, that we have. But I, I want to go to a phrase and I'm going to start with you, David Cavallari on this one. Um, it's a phrase that's in your article and we've all seen it and heard it, but I just want to know what it means to you and, and why is it important? And it's a, it's a simple phrase and it's the total army. What does that phrase mean? And why is it important that we, uh, as both, uh, uniform folks and army civilians see the army as a total army? I'd be happy to. And if you'll indulge me for a moment, I have to share a couple of numbers, uh, that, um, it kind of helps set the context for what the phrase you asked about means, this idea of the total army, but then also where we as army civilians fit into this larger construct. So the total army people enterprise uh, serves th- about three and a half million people. And in that pool of people, really, that that's a it's a subset of the American society. So I've narrowed it down to three and a half million people. There's just about a million, one million active guard and reserve soldiers. We often have heard, hear those referred to as the three components, the three compos, active guard and reserve. So there's a million. There's roughly 300,000 of us who call ourselves army civilians, uh, GS and wage grade. There's another million plus family members. Add on to that number 
roughly 900,000 retired soldiers and about 100,000 surviving spouses. You add up all the numbers and we get to this idea of three and a half million people associated in one fashion or another with the total army. Now, when Van and I wrote the article, the Army Civilian Corps represented just about 23% of the Army profession. Remember the one profession and the two communities I talked about? It was the first question you asked me about in the title. So the Army Civilian Corps represents about 23% of of the Army and roughly 8% of the overall Army enterprise. Those are not insignificant numbers. And the message really for our readers is that the Army Civilian Corps, we we represent collectively a significant segment of the total Army. And because of that, we have a responsibility to meet, and I would submit a, a contribution to make. We have a responsibility to make a contribution in terms of Army readiness. So we're we're part of a group that's part of a group that's part of something larger, and oftentimes we forget that because we've become, I think, very comfortable with using this word enterprise to describe what we belong to. Okay, I want to go back to uh, some things that you've talked about in your article, uh, and you, you used the term friction, and you talked about three areas of friction uh, or components of the third rail that you talked about. What are those three areas of friction and why do they matter to the army? And uh, Dr. Van Nolten, I'll start with you. I'll give you a first bite at that apple. (laughs) All right, Dave. Thanks. So, so that's a great question. And, and, And just touching on, you know, the things that Dave was just talking about, he just described all the different, uh, components of people and those, those little areas that we have, you know, in, in, in my day to day, um, dealings, I, I, I deal with, you know, the, the active force, uh, I deal with, you know, Department of the Army civilians, both in active and, and, and the reserves. So when we talk about these, these components, these, this friction, our three components that we chose to initiate the discussion with, uh, our friction between the, the two Army profession communities, as Dave described, you know, the uniform and then us, uh, friction that's internal to the Army Civilian Corps, and friction that's generated by the legacy uh, talent management uh, procedures and policies and practices uh, in the Army Civilian Corps. And we think they're important uh, as, as, as to get the, the conversation started so that we can start unpacking uh, some of these perceptions and biases and uh, preconceived notions and help us to engage with some of those difficult conversations and, uh, that we as an enterprise need to have so that we can achieve everything that we're trying to achieve at Echelon. So perceptions vary with experience, location, missions, et cetera. You know, where you sit, where you stand, and that's that's how you view the world. Uh, we generally found in the in the literature and in the interviews that we uh, that that we conducted, uh, they generate some trends that are useful for engaging in some of the difficult conversations. You know, all friction isn't bad. We we know that, but we have to acknowledge it, unpack it, and then use that so that we can forward the mission that we're trying to get to. 
Uh, and Jim Collins's book, uh, Good to Great, as I know that you guys are very familiar with, uh, him and his team talk about leaders who are first ambitious for the company. You know, they're, they're, they're driven for that organization, that, that level five leader that's, that's out there doing. And my Navy colleagues, um, uh, they, they talk about it in ship, shipmate self. You know, they talk about everything goes to the ship first. So you sacrifice yourself for the ship. You sacrifice your yourself for your shipmates. Uh, and, and then you come up last. And what that really means um, in, a, in a lot of ways is it's helping us identify how we attack these conversations for the institution, for others, and then for us. I mean, at, in the end, who gets the credit? Does it matter or do the results matter? You know, I, uh, I, when I became an army civilian back in 1994, um, I called my, my uh, brother who had been in the Marine Corps and I told him that I had gotten a job as an army civilian. And he said, Oh, I know who those people are. They never go to the field and they don't do PT. And, and back then that was kind of the view of, uh, of the civilian employees. And I think all three of us know that we're called upon to do uh, way, way more than that now, particularly with the with the advent of the installation management command, where uh, c- civilians just uh, were responsible for so many important functions uh, across the army. And um, David Cavallari, did you did you have anything to add about uh, the uh, those areas of friction that Dr. Knowlton just talked about? The only thing I would add to Van's description is that an admission, uh, you know, on the part of us as authors that these were not, these are certainly by no means the only uh, friction areas that uh, that exist either internal to the Army Civilian Corps or internal to the Army profession. They just were the ones that I think we could both gravitate to because of personal experience and ones that we've heard about frequently uh, through daily interactions and the people that we spoke to about the article. So every reader will react, I think, in one of a couple of ways to any of those three is like, yeah, I've seen that. I've lived that. Or uh, no, that's not one of the most important ones. I would have replaced it with fill in the blank. And that's okay because it means the reader is thinking about what we wrote and, uh, uh, personalizing it as a way to get ready to have one of those difficult conversations. And I wanted to ask about a, a term that uh, I've, I've seen, I've heard, I just want to get it out in the open, talk about it, define it and talk about why it matters. And the, the term is talent management. And I want to start with you, uh, David Cavallari. What is talent management and why does it matter for the Army Civilian Corps? Well, what a wonderful question. And I think what I'll do is I'll I'll practice something you taught me years ago when I first joined the Army Management Staff College as a brand new course director. And it would be to say, well, David, that's a wonderful question. What do you think? talent management is and why does it matter? I, I'm, I'm just teasing you. You said we could have a conversation. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll share with you what we think, what Van and I uh, think. And, and, and it's that, uh, you know, for those of us who are not professional human resource specialists, we don't deal 
in the everyday world of uh, human resources. That, that term talent management, it, it connotes a system or an approach that manages an employee's career. Um, I'm doing air quotes right now. Between the lines, what I mean by that is between the time we join an organization and we leave it. But if you if you take the time to study the Army people strategy, you'll see that senior leaders, uh, Army civilian senior leaders, have reframed that notion of talent management for just a portion of a civilian's career. And they're now describing it in terms of a holistic approach that begins first with acquiring the talent and then developing and employing the talent over the course of an Army civilian's career, and then taking deliberate steps to retain that talent for as long as both parties agree. So it's, it's a start to finish. It's a full spectrum approach to acquiring and then helping us develop and manage and then retaining this critically important army talent for as long as possible. And then you asked, why do I think it matters? Well, I think it matters to us as army civilians because this approach represents, it's not only a comprehensive perspective, but perhaps more importantly, it implies a commitment on the part of the army enterprise to continuously invest in army civilians far beyond our initial onboarding phase. And getting it on paper, getting it an approved strategy, and then following it up with a civilian implementation plan, and then making some significant procedural and process changes uh, attest to the seriousness with which the Army is approaching this new uh, frame uh, for uh, Army civilian talent management. And it's not just a matter of mimicking or copying the kind of uh, career management or talent management that the uniform, that the, uh, the uniform side has, because they, they do things a certain way. Uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it, the right kind of system for army civilians is not just a copying or a mimicking of what uniform folks do. Is that, would you agree with that? Is that a fair statement? I believe it's a fair statement, and I agree with it. And I can give just one example of how uh, the profession of arms, talent management, the soldier talent management system, fundamentally differs from the one that we uh, we leverage for the Army Civilian Corps. And if you think about it, soldiers in uniform, uh, the the popular phrase you know was up or out. It's constant progression uh, in terms of uh, you know, increased rank and responsibility. And when a soldier reaches a point where he or she chooses not to pursue that uh, upward mobility or is physically unable to do that anymore, then they have other career choices. Uh, and the all of us as soldiers, all soldiers, we assess into the profession of arms, generally speaking, at, at a pretty low uh, rank. On the civilian side, we're hired for skills. And as long as we maintain those relevancy in those skills, we don't have to progress in terms of positions of increased responsibility or authority. We are uh, 
financially rewarded based on our production, uh, which is tied directly to our position descriptions. There is no quote unquote up or out. And so just that one fundamental difference alone, we're not even going to you know, talk in any detail about uh, bargaining agreements or uh, unions or uh, the difference between Title V and Title X law. On of those, you know, none of those nuances, uh, just the, 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 the talent management approaches have to be different because the two cohorts, soldiers and civilians, are so fundamentally different which raises an interesting question about how do you get two such disparate communities to commit to the same vision. But that's probably another article that Van and I should explore writing. If, uh, Van, did you, you look like you were uh, going to have a response to that. Did you have anything to add? Yeah, I'm sorry, uh, Dave. That was D- Dave's got it. I mean, the, the the whole thing that the army is even considering talent management, you know, beyond the position description uh, of, of of what an army civilian does, um, and 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 just when when you and I came in, you know, Dave said it. We get hired for a skill set at a certain level. The army in in, in the past may or may not, depending on where you sit. Uh, have thought about, I hired you at full performance level. There's no development needed. If I wanted you to be something else, I would have hired something else. Um, so the, the fact that the army is actually looking at going beyond the, the position description and looking at the knowledge, skills, behaviors, and other contributors that a civilian can bring to, um, to bring to the mission enhancement, uh, I, I think is just a, a huge step forward. There, there is a huge competition out there. I, I face a huge competition every day in Army aviation. You know, my primary recruiting pool for uh, instructor pilots is pilots who got out of the Army, you know, from, from uniform. We just don't train a whole lot of age 64 pilots outside of the Army. Uh, but, but my pilots uh, are in high demand uh, in, in, in every other aviation industry to include uh, contracting overseas. So, uh, you know, for those that want to just come in and fly and look good in their flight suit and teach, uh, you know, we got that. For those of you that want to go do uh, beyond that because they have some project management or program management skills, well, the Army needs that too. So, so here, let's, let's go ahead and do some transition. And there, there's a phenomenon in the Army Civilian Corps. I've, I've seen it. I'm sure both of y'all have seen it where you have uh, someone at the, let's say the 9, 10, 11, or GS-12 level who has been doing a job for uh, 10, 15 years, maybe longer than that. And um, like like you said, uh, David Cavallari, it's not up or out. They can stay in that job uh, for an extended period of time. And not only as Army civilians, is that acceptable? It's not just acceptable. That's uh, celebrated because – when you have someone who has that background, that deep background of experiences and knowledge in in a single position, uh, in a single function like that, it's it's really extremely valuable to the force. Um, I think you both would agree to that, and that's kind of something that it 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 we need to preserve that kind of uh, a situation uh, as best we can. Uh, I want to go to you. 
uh, Dr. Van Knowlton, uh, let's, let's kind of start, uh, unwrapping this and getting, get, bringing it back home, uh, to talk about how we address those frictions. And in your uh, article, you wrote about three new components, things that, that perhaps we could start doing to, to try to deal with the situation. So what are those three components, Dr. Knowlton, and, and how are they important? Yeah, Dave, and, and another great question. So let, let me go back to something that uh, that uh, Dave Cavallari, uh, my battle buddy, uh, talked about earlier. These these three that we put in the article were just to get the, the conversation started. Uh, they are by no means uh, a, a, a bucket to, to put people in. So the three things that we kind of talked about was, uh, number one, kind of improving the communities of practice perceptions of each other. Um, the second one is, you know, exploring this one Army Civilian Corps, one team mindset. Uh, and then balancing transactional practices with transformational aspirations. And and we, we, we kind of may, maybe we'll unpack that one again in, a, in another article or something as, as we continue to do this. Um, but remember, these three components are just a start. Uh, and they need to be unpacked. They need to be talked about. They need to be expanded upon. Um, we need other people, other voices to get involved to kind of take a look at this uh, so that we see it from different angles. They are, they, and to understand also, they're not distinctly different lines of effort. I, I, we would recommend that you don't create a campaign plan for balancing perceptions and say, here's that line of effort and, and here's the here's the milestones that we're going to achieve there. But they start us thinking about this operational environment in the current state that we're in and then have a conversation about what we want the future state to be versus what we can afford. A lot of times we look out there and we say, well, we can't afford to train civilians the, the, the way we train the military. It, there's just not that many. We can't afford to PCS you know, senior civilians every three years like we do the military. Besides, they don't want to. And as we heard the secretary say uh, in, in the AUSA uh, the, the, this, this past uh, this past fall, a, lo- a lot of the senior civilians want to do that. They want to move uh, and, and continue that kind of a kind of an impact. But the thing is, what is the objective end state that we want to achieve? So when we look at campaign planning, you know, here's our current state, there's our future state. What do we want that to look like? And then we can go after that, and then we can apply, you know ends, ways, and means to try and figure out how we're going to get there. And so let's, let's look out uh, into the future and uh, let's look uh, five or 10 years down the road. And uh, David Cavallari, I'll, I'll uh, let you answer this one first. What's it look like? What is, what is the future, the desired end state for, uh, for a successful and effective Army Civilian Corps? What's it look like and what do we need to do to get there? Okay, Dave, I'll take a shot at that one. Um, I I look forward to the day when Army civilians think of themselves as being in the Army rather than working for the Army. I think that kind of reframing represents a a shift from performance compliance to personal commitment. And and I think it's just as important that that kind of reframing is embodied by the profession of arms 
with the widespread recognition that the Army Civilian Corps is essential to Army readiness. Now, if we're going to earn that kind of recognition as an Army Civilian Corps, I think we have to figure out how to continue to provide the continuity that you, Dave, were describing uh, in, in your transition comments just a couple of minutes ago. That's because that's what we bring as Army civilians to to the mission every day, the continuity based on longevity in in the profession and the career. But how do we how do we uh, continue to bring continuity that is leavened with relevance? Because continuity that's irrelevant, and we've all seen it, is unhealthy. So if we want our soldier brothers and soldier sisters to recognize that we are essential to Army readiness, I think we have to earn that recognition. So from my perspective, if we can achieve that end state where we're collectively say, you know, I work, I am in the Army. It's not just working for the, I am in the Army. And I bring not only continuity, but relevance. If we can achieve that, and and if the Army can make good on its promise of investing in Army civilian development, I think we naturally become, as an Army, I think we naturally become the government agency of choice in terms of public service. And that's what I would love for us to see, you know, 10 years from now. And so at this point, we're, we're coming to the end of the conversation today about uh, the the third rail and the discussion that we do need to have around army civilian development. And I want to go to both of our guests and ask, is there anything about this topic that you want to share with our leader up audience that I haven't asked you about? And uh, Dr. Van Knowlton, I'll, I'll go to you first on this one. Yeah. Thanks Dave. Uh, I, I appreciate you you having us in today, and and I appreciate the the audience that's listening to us. The, the one thing that uh, I would I would like to say is number one is our underlying goal was to give voice to this concept of the Army People Strategy and the Civilian Implementation Plan, and maybe help start that conversation and just get it going uh, to get some other voices that are out there and some things that we can look at. By no means are our friction points uh, the only ones and and no means uh, are, are the things that we need to look at uh, that we've identified in the article, the ones that need to do. Uh, Dave Cavalieri mentioned um, a little bit about this, this culture of commitment uh, that we've got to get to. It's got to go beyond compliance and into um, some commitment uh, that we're going to have to do from an organizational level. We need to take these conversations and remove the emotion as much as we can. And we know through conversation that you really can't remove all the emotion and all the biases. Uh, but one of the things that we learned uh, throughout some of the the research and, and, and throughout the, the uh, interviews that, that were conducted is there's a lot of perceptions out there that each one of the communities have uh, for the other one. And we kind of got to get, get past that, uh, you know, throw the facts on the table and, and let, let, let's, let's deal with it so, so we can get past. Uh, the second thing I would say is I am very encouraged by the conversations that we've heard so far, the ones that are happening right now. And I really look forward to the conversations uh, that are about to, about to happen. I'm truly excited about the direction that we're headed uh, with the Army People Strategy. 
uh, and, and the direction that we're headed as an army. Thank you for that. And uh, Dr. Knowlton, just I'll just say one more time, thanks for being with us today on Leader Up. And uh, David Cavallari, go ahead. You evidently were the brainchild behind this uh, project, so I'll let you finish this up with whatever comments you have. Thanks, Dave. Uh, I really can't add anything to what Van has shared. On this last question, he speaks for me I, uh, in terms of you know passion and interest and uh, commitment to the topic. I, I would extend a note of uh, personal thanks to you and your production staff for uh, inviting us to to leverage this kind of a communications medium to maybe reach some members of the Army Civilian Corps community or even the profession of arms who aren't yet aware of the article. Now, now maybe after listening to our responses to your questions, they, they might be uh, prompted to go take a look at the article and with a little luck, engage in a difficult conversation of their own. So thanks uh, for helping us get this message out there. Okay, thank you. And this article is, is available uh, online. Uh, uh, if you don't get a hard copy of Military Review, uh, if you just go out and search for the title and the title will be, uh, in, in the notes for the podcast, but I'll say it one more time, one profession, two communities and the third rail we cannot ignore. So, uh, all you folks out there in the leader up audience, go, go out and take a look at that article. And, uh, this podcast will kind of help explain it. And the article will kind of help explain this podcast. So it'll kind of work hand in hand. And so one more time, David Cavallari, my, my old friend from AMSC, thank you for being with us today on Leader Up. Thank you. And Dr. Van Knowlton, also thank you also for giving us your time on Leader Up. Thanks, Dave. And this is your host, your Leader Up host, David Howie from Army Management Staff College. Join us again next time for another edition of Leader Up. As always, if you have any questions or feedback or would like to learn more about our podcast, please check the description for our email and for our website. Thanks for listening.